2: Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. So I left the house to just go for a jog like any other time I would go for a jog. I had my, you know, headphones on. And it's when I was on my way back home that I, I saw this. It was facing me, facing the road. I could see its face, but I couldn't make its features out. It was so big, it was like taller than the ceilings in your typical home. And it was broad, like not skinny and tall, like broad and tall. I was worried that it either saw me or was going to see me in any moment and I did not want to be there any longer.
3: The Bermuda Triangle, Stonehenge, Easter Island. These are strange and mysterious places that defy our traditional understanding of reality. And now we add to that list a region in New England known as the Bridgewater Triangle. It's where a creepy swamp called Hockamock is home to sightings of UFOs, paranormal activity, and bizarre human-like creatures. I'm your host, Steve French. This is Unsolved Mysteries, the creatures of Hockamock Swamp. About 30 miles south of Boston, Massachusetts, is a 200-square-mile strip of land called the Bridgewater Triangle. It's a rural area dotted with small towns, cemeteries, and dark and forbidding forests. This is where a violent and bloody war was once fought between indigenous tribes and New England colonists in the 17th century. Today. It's ground zero for countless, unexplained paranormal encounters.
1: Many people have reported seeing UFOs, both during the day and at night. Some of them have seen structured craft, others just see lights in the sky. People have reported seeing all kinds of monsters, short dwarf-like creatures, Bigfoot, huge snakes, winged humanoid creatures. Chris
3: Pittman is a local paranormal expert Historian and amateur archaeologist, he was raised in the Bridgewater Triangle area and has spent his life researching the strange reports of paranormal activity in this unique region.
1: All of my life, I was really, really interested in the paranormal and particularly in UFOs. Absolutely enthralled by these stories of people being confronted with these mysterious aerial objects that they couldn't explain. And I started to investigate UFO sightings locally as I came to know more about this stuff. I would actually go out to places where people had seen UFOs. I would meet with the witnesses and I would try to explain what it was that they had seen. It was possible for me relatively easily to figure out this was a misidentification of an aircraft or this was a misidentification of planet Venus or something like that. There were also many other times that what the witnesses were reporting to me was totally baffling and absolutely impossible for me to explain really interesting stuff. And I was looking at it from the perspective of a scientist, I was trying to be totally objective about it and look at each case and determine, you know, is this real, create a hypothesis, is this connected to other cases, and then try to prove or or disprove that by collecting more information. And then I started to have really weird things that started to happen in my own life. I would have files pertaining to UFO sightings that would disappear from my home and then be replaced later with photocopies. I had unmarked black helicopters hovering over my house for such a long time that it made the front page of the local newspaper. I started to get really weird phone calls, emails. I would start to see weird lights in the night and other people around me started to see weird things too. Eventually, after several years, kind of all came to a head and I took a big step back from UFO research because it just became too frightening and I I felt like it was becoming too dangerous.
3: While investigating UFOs, Chris Pittman gathered hundreds of accounts of paranormal activities from the Bridgewater Triangle area. At first glance, they seemed outlandish. And yet the people reporting them were credible
1: and very certain
3: of what they'd seen.
1: After a few years, I had amassed a bunch of them and I came to the conclusion that it was nonsense for me to continue to just disregard this body of evidence I was collecting. Among the witnesses to this area's odd activity is the
3: Manzella family. Peter and Tracy Manzella have lived in this part of New England for over 30 years and raised three daughters here. Their oldest is named Fanny, who is now 38 years old.
2: We pretty much live in a forested thicket. It's swampy. It's like almost impenetrable, twisted thickets of forest. We spent a lot of time playing around in the woods in general, behind the house I grew up in, in the fields next door, in the forest behind the house, and in the forest in front of the house. We happened to live about 100 yards from a historic cemetery, and the people buried there are, for the most part, descendants of the people who built the home that I grew up in. I always had a sense that there was something unusual about the area, that we live. I used to feel a lot of strange vibes, I guess, outdoors as a kid, even from a very young age. There were strange feelings, like I would see sometimes shadows out of the corner of my eyes. I always had a really strong sensation, and I still do to this day, that there's something watching you from the woods, which is unsettling. I can deal with it during the day. At night, I don't love it. I don't feel that way inside the house. It's really only outdoors.
3: It isn't until she's an adult that Fanny has a personal encounter with a strange creature lurking in this ominous swampland. Late one afternoon, Fanny is home with her parents when she decides to go out for a jog on her usual running path that takes her through dense woods and past the nearby cemetery.
2: It was... Last spring, the day was misty. I mean, not misty, like I couldn't see through it, but it was odd and and eerie. It was a damp, overcast, chilly afternoon. And just the whole energy of the woods and everything around me just felt frightening and and unsettling. I went for a run, probably for about an hour. And it's when I was on my way back home that I, I saw this. The house I grew up in and the cemetery where I saw this and where all this happened happens to be at the bottom of like a fairly steep hill. So I was coming down the street, you know, and it's like a wooded street. There's some houses up the street from where we live, but in the area where I saw this, it happens to be densely wooded. There aren't any developments or homes nearby. There's a cemetery set back in the woods the tombstones are still fully visible from the street it's maybe 15 yards or so up a little wooded path, the cemetery and I always just unconsciously look at the cemetery every time I pass it, whether I'm driving past it, walking past it running past it, whatever, I'm just always looking So on my way back from this run, heading down the hill, I glanced over and looked up the path and I saw what I saw, which was incredibly alarming and very frightening. I described it as like an ogre. I would say it was at least like 15 feet tall, so nowhere near the size or structure of a human being. And this creature was 100% at the entry of this gated cemetery, obscuring the view into the cemetery. Like I really couldn't even see any of the tombstones because it was right there blocking the entry of the cemetery. Incredibly huge, covered in hair, kind of reddish, or like warm-toned, like orangish, reddish fur. The face, I can tell you, was not hairy. It was the only part of the creature that wasn't covered in hair, as far as I could see. The rest of the animal was hairy, but like stringy, like wiry hair, not like a luxuriant animal coat. It clearly had arms, legs. It was on two feet like a person would be clearly not a person, broad-chested, broad-shouldered. It was definitely close enough that I could 100% say it wasn't a stump or a bear or a tree. It couldn't have been a a moose or anything like, you know, not that moose even live here, but it, it couldn't have been anything like that. And there was no mistaking what it was that I was seeing. I mean, it was clearly some sort of monster of some sort. I had an immediate response to it. I was immediately terrified, filled with dread. And it was facing me, facing the road. I could see its face, but I couldn't make its features out. But I felt that it had seen me, and I did not want to be there any longer. It was a scary, bad feeling. And I felt like that's part of what makes it what it was. I felt like I was at threat of being attacked or chased. I could see its face and I saw it either saw me or was going to see me in any moment, which is why I bolted. I ran as fast as I possibly could. I mean, this was after probably I'd already run five or six miles, so I was fairly tired, but I had an extreme boost of energy at that moment. I did look over my shoulder to make sure that it wasn't following me.
4: Hey, Unsolved Mysteries listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com, then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. There's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for family members, and sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with Gift Mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for my fitness fanatic sister. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now.
0: Selling a little or a lot? to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow grow with shopify sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast
5: so when fanny came home she came in like she was caught on fire she was out of breath. She was panting. She was obviously panicked. She was clearly terrified.
3: Tracy Manzella, Fanny's mother, has lived in Rehoboth since 1990.
5: One of the things that she clearly insisted to me, because when I think of Bigfoot, I think of sort of a tall, mangy, hairy creature that is fairly benign. I don't think of it as a, a malignant Force, but from her experiential description, what seemed to strike her more than anything else was the evil, and she used that word, and menacing nature of this creature that she saw.
2: It was an ominous sensation. Like, I can't say, like, it wasn't like, oh, I saw this creature and it was, you know, interesting, or maybe it was friendly. I was filled with
5: terror, and um, I'm not someone that scares super easily at all. She insisted that it was evil and had fangs and had a menacing face, and I said fangs because I never think of a Bigfoot with fangs. I asked her to draw it for me, and I think what she drew was sort of a demonic looking devil-like facial features. I was not at all skeptical about the experience that she had because having lived here for nearly 30 years or more, I've heard a lot. I would say that having raised my kids here, all of them were uneasy about the woods. And I used to describe the place as being like a Bermuda Triangle to friends and family about experiences and happenings and what it's actually sort of like living in this swampy terrain.
3: Fanny has shared her experience with very few people.
2: I didn't really want to talk about it because I felt like it made me sound a little crazy, honestly. Of all the legends in the Bridgewater Triangle, I feel like the Bigfoot one to me seems like the most preposterous. I just feel like a Bigfoot sighting even in my own mind sounds so like insane and bizarre and like outlandish that describing it even to people that know the Bridgewater Triangle like my own parents like I felt I had to say I'm not crazy I really saw this.
3: For paranormal investigator Chris Pittman an encounter like Fanny's is not at all surprising. Bigfoot-type creatures are one of the most common sightings in the Bridgewater Triangle.
1: I collect Bigfoot sightings. I collect reports from people who say that they saw something that's like a Bigfoot. But these reports, they vary a tremendous amount they're not all the same. One person might tell me that they saw an eight foot tall creature that was covered with long red hair. And then another person saw a six foot creature that was covered with short white hair. And then a third person might've seen a 12 foot tall creature that that had no hair on its face. I've never had a case where somebody said that they saw a creature and then someone else said that they saw a creature two hours later, a few miles away, and it was identical. All the cases are isolated, all of the cases are different. But to me, that's compelling in a way because it's clear to me that these people aren't just hearing a story and then imagining something that's the same or or, or fabricating something maliciously that's the same as something that they've already heard. They're, they're, they're all different. Fanny told me that she saw this creature that she described as looking like a troll or an ogre. She said that it was massive really frightening looking. I mean, she described it as, as being like a monster. The creature that Fanny told me that she saw kind of fits within the vast range of creatures that people have reported to me that they saw, and they said, I think I saw a Bigfoot. I think that she's totally credible, and where she was on the road, she certainly was close enough to it to have been able to see if it was just a person standing there. So I believe that what she's saying is true, and if it wasn't a person... What could it have been? When Chris interviewed
3: Fanny about her encounter, he learned that Fanny's parents have had their own experiences with strange paranormal phenomena. For Peter Manzella, Fanny's father, it happened 15 years ago when he was driving home from
6: work on a dark, moonless night. I was driving my truck back to my house and I was fairly close, maybe a couple miles away from my house. All of a sudden, sort of right in front of my truck, these three lights appeared, which seemed to be keeping pace with my truck, which I slowed down immediately. The lights were not really like lights. They looked like holes that had been cut in some black fabric. They didn't have the usual quality of a light, like a headlight or a flashlight or any light that I knew of. They seemed to be, you know, like looking through holes in a blackboard or something.
5: It was very late at night. It was close to midnight, if not after. And he uh, blew in the door and he said, you just can't believe what I've just seen. And then he described to me that there was these lights. And one of the things about Rehoboth, there are no lights in Rehoboth. In other words, it is there are no street lights. It's one of the nice things about living here. When it's dark, it is dark. And when it's cloudy, it is so dark. It's, It's like you can't even hardly see your hand in front of your face. If it's not a helicopter or an airplane, you'd be hard put to figure out where that light was coming from. And he told me that When he got out of the car and he looked, he saw this triangular shaped vessel or craft that was just above the tree line, just hovering at the tree line. So it wasn't like it could be a plane or like a helicopter because they would have been, A, the helicopter would have been noisy and B, the plane, you know, would be moving along. And when he got out of the car and he pulled over and he shut his truck lights off, it just shot away. And there was absolutely no sound. There was no, you know, motor engine or anything like that. There was no sound of any kind.
6: They vanished into a point. I thought it was odd. As a matter of fact, I drove home and I, I thought... I would call the police to see if anybody else had seen anything odd. I don't think I called them because I thought they'd like ask me my name and then say, you know, some, oh, there's that nut job on Chestnut Street. So I, I didn't. I still don't know what, what it's all about. I have like tried to think about other phenomenon that could have caused it, but I didn't get very far either with a paranormal explanation or the the scientific explanation. I don't know what it all means at all. Tracy Menzella
3: has had her own paranormal experience. Hers occurred 12 years ago when she was driving home with her youngest daughter.
5: We were doing our typical teenager-mother dynamic of having an argument in the car. It was a chilly night, so we had our windows rolled up. It was dark early, so it probably must have been 5 o'clock. And we were heading down our street. And just before we got to the driveway and we're still on the street, we were bombarded from all sides with the brightest flashlights. Like what you might think of those early flashes that you saw in the 20s and 30s, those, you know, that the press would carry but as if there had been maybe 20 of them going off all at once and from all sides. It was an incredible bombardment of lights. And it didn't seem to come from a single source. It seemed to come, we were sort of engulfed in it. And we immediately, you know, stopped what we were arguing about and we looked at each other and I rolled the windows down was no sound there was no helicopters there was nothing and it went quickly as it came but it was just really a shock and a surprise and a mystery as to what had happened and we we both looked at each other and we just kind of like what the heck was that but we kind of had lived here long enough to know things sort of happen here it's just a part and parcel of living here
3: So how can the unusual paranormal activity around Hockamock Swamp be explained?
1: Nobody really knows what has triggered the paranormal activity in the Bridgewater Triangle. There are a lot of theories about it. Some people think that there are certain areas of the Earth that have some kind of energy that allows people to get a glimpse of another dimension. There's People that think maybe it's the tremendous amount of water flowing through the Hockamock Swamp, the billions and billions of gallons of water that are there, that somehow creates an energy that some aspect of the paranormal can use to manifest itself.
5: I think that you hear stories about people going to deserts and having paranormal experiences, and people go into mountains and have these experiences. And I think there's, like, desert energy, and there's, like, mountain energy, and I think there's swamp energy. I think that that's what's going on here, is I think the Huckamuck and its tributaries, which reach into where we live. We're not at ground zero, but we're certainly a part of that great swamp. And perhaps the traumatic history from this area is just sort of remained. It just seems like the energy is stuck
1: Some people have made a connection between the paranormal activity in the Bridgewater Triangle area and the kind of dark aspects of local history, King Philip's War, the conquest and eventual genocide of the native population of this area. I think there can be a tendency of people to try to look at the history of the Bridgewater Triangle area and look at the wars and the struggles that have happened here and try to connect that to the paranormal aspect. But I would encourage people to look back further than that and think about all those centuries about which we don't know anything at all and realize that you know, even though this was such a long time ago there are still vestiges and remnants of these people that we can see even today and it's possible that some aspects of these paranormal experiences that people have might be connected to that. I find them interesting stories and I don't discredit the
5: stories I hear because I believe them absolutely. I'm 100% a believer
2: in the paranormal as it relates to the Bridgewater Triangle. And this experience hasn't changed that at all. I mean, it hasn't intensified it really at all. It hasn't really altered it. I feel, I guess, the same way about it as I did before I saw it. It's just now I've seen something. I go jogging still here all the time and go on long walks by myself all the time. Like, I'm I'm not, like, living in fear or anything. I believe that what I saw, I'll probably never see again. I hope not to.
3: If you've had a paranormal experience in the Bridgewater Triangle of Massachusetts, please submit your story at unsolved.com. Next on Unsolved Mysteries.
5: When I took the phone, it was my sister, and I just immediately knew something was wrong. And she said, I'm so sorry, it's Uncle Dave. And I said, what do you mean? She said, he's been murdered.
3: Unsolved Mysteries is a production of Cosgrove Muir Productions and Cadence 13. It is executive produced by Terry Dunmuir and Chris Corcoran. Produced by Lloyd Lockridge, Christine Lennick, Courtney Ennis, and Paige Heimson. The story producer for this episode was Cynthia Bowles, and it was edited by Charles Olivier. From Cadence 13, editing, mixing, and mastering by Chris Basil, Andy Jaskowitz, and Bill Schultz. Production support by Sean Cherry and Ian Mont. Artwork and design is by Kurt Courtney. Publicity by Josephina Francis and Hilary Shuff. The original theme music was composed by Gary Malkin and Michael Boyd. Thanks for listening to
5: episode 4 of Unsolved Mysteries.